Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. I'm Greg Monteith. And we're here in live from Drum Heller, Alabama. No, Alberta. <laughs> Yes, directionally (laughs) challenged. So we are here for the first ever, never happened in the history of the podcast. Live face-to-face. Yes, we have never podcast face-to-face ever. Unbelievable. And uh, so I've been here since, today's Monday, and I've been here since Friday afternoon. Right. I I gave up my seat a couple years ago (laughs) on a flight, voluntarily. Mm. And uh, anyway, one thing led to another, and I had a free voucher, and I was like, well, what better place to use it than to Here come you to are. Calgary, Alberta, and then visit Greg and his family and Drumheller. And so here we are. So we've uh, seen everything from dinosaurs to Greg's office, mediation, Central. the best mediator <laughs> in the city of Drumheller. <laughs> If you're looking for mediation services, highly recommend this location. Uh, actually, we're at mediation headquarters right now. Right. Um, so we ate good food, had good wine, mm-hmm. uh, saw, went to the Dinosaur Museum this morning, mm-hmm. went to church yesterday. We called about went, the Creation Museum, but, but that, that was a little involved, so we didn't get to go to the Creation Museum. Yes, yes. Oh, and I'm, I gotta say, I'm a little hesitant right now because I thought that John and I should be back to back. We are face to face. So we have gonna... that going for you. <laughs> I almost cracked up there in the intro. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cause you kind of gave me that look. Hi, I'm John Poster. And you give me that uh, look. <laughs> I'm like, oh, don't do that. Oh, I didn't even that. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that's going on. I'm pretty good now. Okay. I'm holding it together. Okay, good. Good. So where should we go today? Well, I mean, we could talk about our time at the museum. I thought that was pretty interesting. So, so Drumheller is a paleontological center, uh, not just in North America, but in the world. It's probably one of the three or four, uh, this, this whole greater Alberta, some into BC region, is one of the uh, best areas for fossil finds uh, ever. And so the museum is top quality. They say they boast they have more fossils, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, than the Smithsonian does. Although some of those fossils, a lot of those fossils are still in, in casings, and, and many of them are very small fossils. This kind of micro, uh, pre-Cambrian era fossils, if that's what they are, or, or Cambrian, whatever. But, you know, we were talking, and it just it struck me. So we're, we're going through the museum, and, and they are... Uh, very early on, there was some uh, material up uh, and displays about um, what is evolution, what is human evolution, right? They had those different skulls and the kind of branchings and all that. And I guess what seemed to strike me is that there's so much, as you mentioned, so much like dedication, right? You're looking at the the time. Oh, it was just the amount of like, so... I don't remember the last time I've seen fossils and dinosaurs and this kind of stuff. And, and I, I'm not real like big into this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to see it just to kind of, I don't know, Mm -hmm. have the experience broaden my understanding. And the, the amount of dedication and time that someone would have Mm -hmm. to spend to unearth some of these fossils blew me away. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of these things, it's like someone's out fishing in the middle of a river and they see some weird, Mm. structure and so i think one of these things was like they had a helicopter airlift out like 14 different like they're lifting i don't know how they got them out of the river but it's like not only do you have to get these big boulders out of a river or Mm -hmm. out of the side of a mountain or a hill or something Mm. but once you do that like the number of years in some cases to like get all the dirt and all the rock away from these fossils so that they can actually get yes. to them like blew me away. And I just thought, I think I would last about 30 minutes doing any kind of work like this. This just would not be interesting to me, Yes, but wow, there are people, there are people and 
just in the same way that I like audio and coaching, mm-hmm. there are people in the world that love rocks and fossils and are so dedicated and so into and intrigued by and mm-hmm. fulfilled maybe yes by good point fossils and dinosaurs yep. that many of them have like dedicated their lives years mm-hmm. of their lives to this work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and even the we saw one uh display where the they it was a bone bed so it's like scattered bones and they had overlaid it with this uh, aluminum, aluminum kind of frame. Maybe it was two feet by two feet, and they had made a grid pattern of it with string. So every three inches, a piece of string ran vertically, and then every three inches, a piece of string ran ran well. well I guess ran lengthwise and widthwise across this square, and just like the amount of detail that they had to put in. But it, what struck me there is the presentation was both clear it was straightforward um it was direct and it was so convincing but also just the amount of work that they had behind it all to back it all up and i thought this is exactly what the church should be like you know and i'm not going in the direction of what i've read uh i used to spend a lot of time on these deconversion uh, websites not. I wasn't trying to reconvert people who deconverted away from Christianity. Not the point at all. I was trying to learn from them. You know, where are you coming from? What was because I had done this, right? I mean, I had my seven years as an agnostic, and I had my reasons for doing it and my reasons for coming back. And what I noted uh, across the board, you know, and I, who knows, what was this like? Two or three months of intense time f- of of Greg time, which means I spent a fair bit of time over that three months doing that. But what I noted was all of the criticisms they raised were epistemologically focused. They were all focused on knowledge. We count- Epistemology being knowledge. Yeah. How can we know this? How can we understand this? So I'm not suggesting that the church should be treating God like uh, an arche- a paleontologist treats a fossil, right? God is not data to be digested. God is an entity to be known. Right? There's a difference there. There's a relational quality that exists and that uh, pervades within a uh, Christian context that is not there at all in a paleontology context. But the approach to that relational context and to some of the, there's also some knowledge, some information, just some, if you like, maybe not data, but there's there are narratives and other forms of information in the biblical text that help us to understand God so that we can check and balance what we think is, oh yeah, that was, that was God. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I relate with God this way. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting because I don't see that happening in the Bible, right? So, And yet though, as we were walking through this museum, I was kind of skeptical. John was a little bit like, okay, so this particular dinosaur is... 200 million years old and I'm just supposed to like, how do we, how do like, how do they know? Like, what's this based on? Like how, um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. But that's perfect. Cause that's what should happen. Right. You've got skepticism and you should be able to, you know, like, you know, you knock on the door and the, the, the director comes out or somebody like, you know, fictionally, let's say somebody comes out and they're able to, you know, dig down into, in a sense, like to provide data, you drill down into a situation and they're able to provide you more and more and more information to the point that, you know, hopefully either you're satisfied and this would be what I would think either a, you're satisfied or B, you have to come to terms with the fact that you are not um, working with the same categories. And I think that's often what happens with Christians who hold to young earth views. They believe them on theological grounds, they're skip, They're missing. They're 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 mixing their categories. It's a category mistake, right? So if the scientific information is pointing you that way, yes. And then they would say, no, the Bible says this. But of course, they're ignoring the fact that they've got a particular hermeneutic that the Bible hasn't given them that they've hermeneutic being what? Well, like an interpretive framework, right? My framework is that the seven days in Genesis are literal. Okay, well, does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't tell you that they're literal, right? And it's poetry. Any, any, any commentary written any time in the last 50 years is going to tell you that the first couple chapters of Genesis are poetry. 
Now, it doesn't mean that they're meaningless. It just means we interpret them differently than if they're prose, right? This isn't literally, Paul went to Mars Hill. Paul had a conversation with these folks. Like, I think that literally happened. I don't think that's a poetic description. But the point really is that I think what should be happening with Christianity is very similar to what's happening with that museum. You give a presentation, it's clear. It, it makes sense. It's direct. Gets its point across. And when people are skeptical, you've got the resources there. And I don't think, what I'm not saying is, for example, with the museum, you might have eight or nine experts, and they are massive experts. And everybody else is kind of, yeah, you know, we clean the fossils or whatever. And then you've got the public and like you and me, and we, we don't know that much. I'm suggesting Christians as a body should be deeply committed. We should be m- doing that excavation. We may, not all, we may not all be experts in all those areas, but we all recognize the value of expertise. We all recognize that, yeah, okay, we're not just going to say this stuff. And if, if non-Christians aren't, aren't being massive sinners, they're going to get it. No, they're going to, hopefully they're going to be skeptical. I would be, why wouldn't they should be, right? So that's kind of where I, that's what I took out of that. And I thought that was really exciting because I thought that the museum had done a really great job at being compelling with what they're presenting. And I wish that we as Christians, and they're thorough, right? And they're not, they're not vociferous. They're not angry. And I, I think those are all great characteristics of people who are dedicated to a view and a belief and a cause and who present it well. And the name of this museum was the Tyrell? The Tyrell or the Tyrell. It's a, so it's a Royal Museum. It's, it's sort of on par with all the big museums in Ottawa and Toronto. It's pretty much a world-class dinosaur museum. And it's out here in the middle of nowhere, right? So, yeah. We also went to Fossil World, but we did not spend much time there. Not much time at Fossil World. Fossil Shop. Did a lot of fossil. Did a lot of fossil. What, so what do you what do you take away from this? What 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 mattered to you or what sort of questions do you have coming out of this? This time here or the museum or whatever you want to focus on. It'd probably take me a while, like a few days to for everything to kind of sift out. Uh, I think at the museum, like, like one of the first things that would have jumped out at me or that did jump out at me immediately was, well, they're saying that this is, you know, 200 million years old. My background would say, oh, but carbon dating isn't reliable. And this is just some, uh, some, you know, scientific hoax, some scientific, some, some atheistic agnostic, scientific, no world with God. And so uh, they've come up with this system and it's really not reliable, but yet all these people believe it. And so the whole agenda of this, (laughs) the whole agenda of this museum is evolution. Which, which in, which in a way, I mean, that was, that was the, there were, that was the presentation in terms of like, in evangelical Christianity, that's no, how no, no, it was presented. No, 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 at the museum, it was kind of like, this is how this all came about. Right. Which I don't know that I have a problem with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was interesting for like for that to kind of just mm-hmm. pop up. And mm-hmm. and I think the the major thing for me that, that came to the museum was that I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Like it, After a while, it was just like dinosaur after dinosaur after dinosaur. I mean, there, this is an amazing collection of really old stuff. And trying to wrap my head around like how mm. old, how long, two hundred million years, like yeah. I, I mean, the United States is only a couple hundred years old. Yes, and that seems like forever. Mm-hmm. So what is like? What's a thousand years like? What's like a million years? Like it uh, just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unfathomable, mm-hmm. unfathomable. So I, I think that's that was one thing I took away from the museum was just like mm-hmm. trying to imagine. I just can't right yeah well we really haven't dug too much into that whole the whole evangelical perspective you know and i wonder again how and i would say too that that perspective has probably shifted like i'm going off of you know a college class from 
25, 30 years ago where, you know, so who it's alive and well in my neighborhood, buddy. Okay. Okay. But I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if I were to go back to my same Christian college, I don't know what they would be teaching now. I have no idea if it would be exactly the same. I'm guessing it's, it's no pun intended evolved to a certain extent to be either more nuanced or different or right or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't spent a lot of time on that. I'm, I'm looking at the section of my book so far. I've got this a whole bunch of books on um, evolution, geography. We talked about Tiktaalik, which is this incredibly important transitional fossil. Um, oh, I, I, it's kind of a subject change, but we also met another entangling Christianity listener. Oh, well, we did. And I had dinner with them. I, I don't know that we should, I don't know if they want to be publicly acknowledged, acknowledged on the podcast, but hello to, you know who you are. <laughs> yes. Yes. We do so, have a couple listeners in this area. Yeah. So we went to the, the, uh, Ro- is it a community? At- no, it's a, called a Hamlet, the okay. Hamlet of Rosebud. Yes. Which is a... Uh, theater arts theater arts school and they've got a theater there and they've got a restaurant there and most of the population of that little hamlet is either involved with the theater with the theater school or somehow with the the management of you know either of the two and uh yeah it's it's really um i think it's quite a success story in terms of artists particularly artists who are christians who are um, making a living doing what they want to do and feeling that um, you know, in some way they're either having an impact on, on audiences through the performances in the theater or through, uh, you know, future actors through the training in the uh, theater school. So it's so. great to just walk around, see the little yeah. Hamlet. Um, they were kind of asking me what I wanted to do. And I said, I just want to live like a local. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We did. I have, I think the museum may be the only, and Fossil World may be the only, like, Tourist, mm-hmm. real truly tourist. But that's what I like to do on trips mm-hmm. like this is just live like the locals. And nice. so after dinner, they were like, well, we would go for a walk to the bridge. So that's, I was like, great, let's go for a walk to the bridge. And one thing led to another. And then we got a tour of the uh, the firehouse. And then we walked, made a big loop, saw the church and just got to get it was, into it was the a theater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've had the great weather and you've had no bugs, which is not the way it normally goes here. The weather gets good. The bugs are out. You've had a, you've had a good show of it. So yeah, no, no. I was thinking about that whole, the whole evolution thing and just thinking about, you know, again, we've talked a little bit about this, about starting place, right? And so, so often you're going to hear from evangelical Christians, you have to start with God, start with the Bible. And um, I think on a number of levels, that's problematic. Um, first of all, uh, you, you, on a theological level, it's impossible. No one's born a Christian. You have to become one, right? And so we have this idea that Christianity is a starting place when in reality, at best, it's an artificial starting place. So there's, there's that piece. Um, but the other thing too is if you start with the Bible, you have to be very careful that you're not referencing the Bible. Like the Bible is going to give me everything I need to know. Right, it's got all the important stuff. No, that's not the that's not the point, right? And so there's no um, there's no good formulation. There's no proper formulation of the relationship between the Bible and the world. Or and coming back to this whole thing of text and experience, right? You live your life, or maybe you reference the experiences of others, right? You're talking about history or historiography, and this plays a role. This is important. You know, and even the production of the Bible. Clearly, these fossils and these things way predate the creation of these texts. And even, you know, when were the texts written? Was Genesis the first thing to be authored? No. Most people would say, most scholars would say, no, it, it, it was a later edition to help explain to Israel its origins. And does that invalidate it? No. But it just means that its approach, what they're actually trying to do, is different from what we try to do. Many evangelicals try to do with it. They try to use it to communicate something that the intention, as far as I can see, was never there for. And so I think we end up with a whole lot less nuance because we just kind of fix the Bible over life. And this is some, I mean, I talk about this all the time, right? But um, it's interesting to see when we come to something like, uh, I don't know, a big, well-designed and well-structured dinosaur museum, 
that for many Christians is a, you know, a button pusher, right? It could really um, cause you to worry. And, and I guess too, what's most regrettable is if you're worrying about going to a dinosaur museum because you don't know what it would mean to really engage um, seriously with the viewpoints they're putting forward, then the sad part about that is probably you don't have the resources, either within your church, within your community, certainly within yourself, to be able to carry on that kind of, if you like, dialogue between your viewpoint currently and the viewpoint being offered and I think that's a, that's a terrible loss, right? And sometimes this is a lot of the kind of protective mindset of the church versus, hey, let's, let's, let's um, enable, let's empower people, let's uh, equip people, let's give them the tools that they need. Because I don't know how else we're actually engaging in authentic dialogue with people who aren't Christians, you know? So how much of, 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 of Christianity's, if you like, growth strategy is converting kids, we're getting people whose lives are at the, my, my life is going nowhere. I'm at the very bottom. I have no other choice. Well, that's one option. Like that's one way people as adults come to Christianity, but hopefully they're coming to Christianity out of wonder, um, out, out of being convinced uh, um, intellectually, out of uh, a full sort of uh, scope of their humanity being engaged with and them seeing, okay, you know, this is resonating with how I live my life here and what's successful there. It's coming back to some of these biblical ideas. Um, I pray and, you know, either things happen out of that prayer or I hear stories of other people in these testimonies. And so it's just so much more than I think what tends to happen. And I, I worry, you know, I think this is just one kind of test tube case, one case study maybe that could be made of, well, what happens to you? When you walk into this place, if you feel nervous, what would you do? Um, what would you hope you could do? What would you like to have the resources to be able to do? And how do you think that might change things for you and your community? And how might it change things when you deal with people who don't think like you do? I mean, open it. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna, I, I, so we got three cans of... Three cans of drink here, and I just grabbed the third one. John's got his. These are sparkling water, by the way. Yes. No alcohol. Not in the mediation office. That would not work out too well. Um, there are certain topics, and I won't name them all, that we have steered clear of. Okay. We're nearly at 150. And I see, like, I'm from where I'm sitting here, I'm looking across at my bookshelves, and I'm just seeing books and topics are jumping out at me. There's so much stuff. And this is one that we haven't really talked about very much, this whole uh, evolution piece and, you know, is it a hoax? And maybe that, that was the other thing I was going to mention too. If you see, like, it depends really on how you see atheism, because I see atheism as a truth-seeking enterprise. So if atheism is seeking truth, then I've got some good reasons to take evolution and an, and an atheistic perspective on evolution seriously. I know a lot of, a lot of Christians would really push back hard against that. Atheists can't be telling truth because the only way to tell truth is with, is you believe in God. It seems like there's a couple different things I've seen there, which is there's, there's trying to make sense of the world mm -hmm. without God. And mm -hmm. there's, let me prove how stupid Christianity is, <laughs> yeah. which seems to be two different things. Yes, that's a good point. So what do you, what have you experienced of the first group and what's that been like? Yeah, I would say most of the people that I know that are maybe don't believe in God or just like, eh, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. They're, yeah, they're trying to live the best lives that they can. I don't know any in the other category of okay. someone that's like just out to prove how stupid it is. I don't. Right. Well, I can think of like some of the faint Dawkins and. Yeah. The, I mean, the and, obviously well known, but do I know any of them personally? Do I interact with them? No, not at all. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think you make a good point. I don't know to what degree. Like, it's hard to know. Like, how does that conversation go when a Christian who doesn't believe in evolution connects with, communicates with 
an atheist who does, I, you know, I remember a conversation with um, a colleague at graduate school, and we were talking about, you know, some of his uh, ministry work, and he made the comment, yeah, but this person's a non-Christian, so there's only so far I can go with them. And I thought, well, no, I, I totally disagree with you. You're a human being. You can go all the way down. You're going to have different views on different aspects that relate to your humanity, but your humanity is shared, right? You, you're not, a, you're not a, a different being because you're a Christian. You have different orientations, different understandings, and you may um, you know, ultimately choose different things. But um, yeah, I, th- I still think that that notion of atheism as truth-seeking for most people doesn't cut it. And I wonder if there's a part of the issue is that you have somebody thinking, hey, we don't share Jesus already. A Christian who says, you, you, don't, you don't share the most important thing to me, and therefore, I don't even know how to connect with you. And, you know, and I've done some blogging on this in the past. I don't know if there's just the expectation of hostility right? If there's a defensiveness already. I mean, you talked about this. You should, you should talk about this with the being more free with your, with your money, for example, right? What if Christians were more free, not expecting to get attacked or thinking, you know what, if I do get attacked, right? I'm not, I'm not somehow hooped. I'm not, I'm not uh, a failure if I don't fire back or make the right points or whatever. Like, I wonder, again, what it would take to be in a position of thinking, what can I learn from this person? What do they have to teach me? And um, not necessarily agreeing with everything, but just being open to that. So, yeah, I think that atheism as a truth-seeking enterprise is something that we just, we don't, we never think of. Well, and I wonder if there's a third group of people or mm-hmm. a fourth group of people, which is that just, they don't care. Not that they don't care, but it's, it's not a pursuit, it's it's not that they're down on it. They're they're just not. They're focused on other things, right? Now, is this is this kind of like the Andy Stanley's uh, the nuns? No, the the nuns. I would then. My understanding, the definition of the nuns is a it's a group of people that that have a church background that are not at church anymore. This, I guess I'm thinking more of someone that's just like, well, I just, you know, I'm not really thinking about anything bigger than my day-to-day uh, survival plus some fun activities. And in other words, it's, that's just where they're at. That's, so they're kind of neutral almost. Yeah, they're not, uh-huh. they're not negative on it, but they're also uh-huh. not like, well, what's the answer here? What, how does this really work? Right, right. And I don't, I don't know. I think some people are just not wired that way too. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right about that. I guess I tend to see them as more, you know, this whole group as seeing Christianity as irrelevant. You know, so we've, in other words, we don't even have to talk about it and they don't even have to get mad about it. They don't even have to get up in arms like someone who would be like a a Hitchens or a Dawkins, like, oh, this is so stupid. Nothing's worse than Christianity. I almost see them as people who have... um, been so steeped in the idea that Christianity is irrelevant that it's just not even a talking point. And you'd have to really, you'd have to really anger them or frustrate them or somehow provoke them for them to do anything other than just kind of turn around and walk away or say, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, interesting. And, you know, but not really interesting. They just go back to reading their paper, drinking their coffee. So what was the other group? You said there might be three or four groups. Oh, I didn't want to be too, uh, too narrow. Uh, okay. So, so there could I, be more still. I threw out some more possibilities. It could be without more still. identifying what they were. Nice. Nice. It, it's interesting to me living in this place. One thing I didn't tell you when we were in the museum is that um, parts of that museum are much, much older than others and have been, are, have been uh, in existence since the museum started. And I know this because I talked with a couple people who told me about how the museum began here. They've lived in this community long enough and, and they actually contributed to the building of the museum. So one guy said, yeah, you know, and I, I remember how they did this and how they put the glass in and how 
uh, how I put the glass in actually and how they wanted this. And I had to get this special equipment to do this piece and that piece. And it was interesting because most of these people, these are all evangelicals. And I remember, we may have talked about this on a podcast a long, long time ago, but um, I was at a church. They were having a discussion. I was watching a video and it was about science. And then the topic of evolution came up and everyone became irate. They became um, un, unconsolably or inconsolably uh, frustrated. And what came out afterwards was not so much um, evolution is so evil, it is such a problem, um, it is, it is uh, warping the minds of people, let's say. It's, 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 a, it's a, a hoax. What came out was when they first wanted to make this museum about dinosaurs and evolution, we people in this particular church said yes. Because we, we knew these people, they lived with us. They were paleontologists, but they lived here. And we said, yeah, we'll do the work with you. Sure, what do you need? Right? And they're getting paid to do the work, whatever. But it was the sense that they felt betrayed in their relationships. And they felt betrayed because when that first guard passed on, when the people who very first started the museum, it was started, uh, I think, 20... I think it opened in 85. It's 85. Okay, so it's a long time ago. 30, 30 years. When that first group passed on, there was a, there, before they did, there was a level of respect, even though there were differences. And what they said was, what they felt was that they, um, there was no more respect. The respect was gone. And so they were sort of viewed as these, I, I, I don't know, like they were unimportant, like they hadn't made a real contribution and they were like these these uh maybe this is getting back to people saying oh christianity is so stupid that they were just you know morons so it was interesting to me that they, it was a very personal thing for these people and it made them very angry and they had this we'd watched a couple of other videos about other subjects and they had sort of different people had uh you know what on different days had, had said things but nothing compelled the group and, and galvanized the group like this thing on evolution and everybody had a story was so personal, you know? And so I guess I wonder if that's just like a rare situation because, hey, you know, a museum was built and it was about dinosaurs and it was built by these Christians and it was for these scientists. And then the, the, the community, scientific, scientific community, Christian community relationships soured. And that made everything go south for these guys. But I just wonder how much of that is if there's any lessons to be learned or anything to be taken, I don't, I don't have any answers. Yeah. For me, I just wonder like, why does it matter? Which like, part? Well, so I'm thinking way back to someone that I remember them being very adamant that it was six literal days of creation. It has to be, uh, if you can't take, you know, the first pages of the Bible, literally, you might as well just throw the whole thing away. So, it's six literal days or bust. And I used to understand that to be like, well, yeah, you really ought to have a strong position on this. And I, now I don't really care. I really just don't. It's so the dinosaur fossils that we saw today. So like, why does it matter if it's really not 200 million years old, really that dinosaur was only a million years old. Like I, I just, it doesn't change anything for me. It's old. It's from long ago. Somehow you found these fossils and put these bones together in a way that this presentation really does make sense. It, it's not like you look at this, this T-Rex and you're like, well, I think they got that put together. I mean, it, it looks real. Yes. Yes. So I don't, I guess what comes to me out of that is like majoring on the minors or like what, like, how is it, how is it this, that, that people get so invested on certain things holding so much meaning when do they really need to? Like, is it really, is it really a life and death issue of whether it's six literal days or not? I don't think it is. Any, I, I mean, again, I was kind of grew up thinking that it was and at a certain point decided, wow, this really doesn't change anything. I, I think 
I would agree and disagree. I guess I agree for myself. I'm going to take that back. Um, I don't think that to be a Christian, you have to fall firmly one side or the other to be a Christian, but in being a Christian. So when I come to Christianity, do I have to have something hard and firm about the beginning of the Bible, uh, six literal days, Genesis, evolution, dinosaurs? No, I don't think so. So I would say it's not a critical doctrine. And in that sense, majoring on the minors, I agree. However, what I would say is that to the degree that a certain perspective has been um, thoroughly and or well or thoroughly um, documented, presented, proven, evidenced by certain information sources outside of the Bible, then in order, A, for me to have credibility with others— who don't believe the Bible, but B, for me to have intellectual integrity for myself, I've got to really, really, I got to double down on that, right? And I haven't done my doubling down. I've got six books over there that I've collected over the last little while. They're, they're good books. Um, I haven't read them because I've got other issues that are more pressing, but I'm recognizing that like on the one hand, to become a Christian you don't need to know about dinosaurs. You don't need to make your mind up on the first chapters of Genesis. I don't think so. To be and continue to be a Christian and to further Christianity with those who are already, particularly in North America and the Western world, who um, have become very aware of the scientific perspectives and information, you absolutely do. I think that it's the difference maybe between... um, can someone who comes from a very Christian background, who's taught something particular about evolution, can that person be a Christian legitimately if, if maybe, let's say, they've got the quote-unquote wrong view? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. But when we go outside and we start talking with people who are agnostics, atheists, people of other religions, but who are informed and educated in some of these matters, there is absolutely no way that we can ask them to take our position if there is a massive information and evidence that points in a different direction that against our position. I think it's the difference between a Christian subculture, can Christianity flourish in a Christian subculture, and can it be true even if there are flaws? Yes. And then can the Great Commission go forward? Can we as Christians legitimately expect that when we go to non-Christians, it's the same thing as being a jerk or presenting somebody a tract at a, at a grocery store when there's five people behind you in the aisle in the, in the, low, the row and you're presenting this tract to this woman and you're thinking she's actually going to get it. That's just manipulation. That's crap. That's ridiculous, right? And so we cannot do that. And sometimes we have the same, this same idea. We do this, we, we sort of present these ideas to non-Christians and we, we sort of think, oh, well, they didn't get it. They, they're just sinful non-Christians. no. No, you haven't even engaged with the ideas. You haven't even thought this through, right? There's no way that you can think that this is an actually a valid presentation of the gospel when the gospel is saying the created world matters. And the In other words, having faith to, to bridge this gap is, is, is ridiculous. I think it's kind of like saying, listen, if you're grandfathered in, if, you're, if the system that you work with is, and you are born with, you're born into as a system that's a six-day creationist uh, perspective, and you hold that, and you come to Christianity, and then, you know, you later think, uh, oh, well, that's not true. It's, it's more evolution that's true. Was there a problem with your original Christianity? No, not at all. I mean, errors, sure. Problems, yes. But, but in, a, in, a, in a greater sense, was I not a Christian? No, 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 please. Don't do that. Don't think that way. But Part of this idea, I think there is something within evangelical Christianity which kind of says, expects non-Christians to first think like us in order to get it. And that's the same as my Hindu friends or my Muslim friends who say to me, listen, Hinduism, Muslim, like Islam, those are the ways to go. And if you would give up your Christian beliefs and think like me and participate like me and go through the process like me, you'd see that. And I would say, forget it. 
that's ridiculous. If it's true, I should be able to see it here and now. Prove it to me from here and now. I'll listen to you. But, but don't ask me to, if you're asking me to take on all your beliefs in order to see that your beliefs are true, you're basically asking me to take on your beliefs without seeing they're true first and then trying to give it a go. It's this crazy idea, right? And we do that to, Christ, to non-Christians all the time or Christian communities or evangelicals have this approach and we somehow don't see that it's crazy. So, so I think it's majoring on the minors in terms of, you know, can you be a Christian without having made up your mind on this or with having various different views? Yes. But if there is a massive body of information here, you have to deal with it. And I remember talking with a fellow and having a very long conversation with this guy, missionary, and eventually getting to the point, he said, do you think Adam and Eve were literal people? And I said, no, no, they weren't. They're not literal people. That's not how it all started. It doesn't all work that way. And, and he was very staunchly of the opposite view. And at the end of the conversation, I said to him, how old well do you think after we've had this long conversation and the entire content has been theological? I said, how well do you think you know the whole geological side of this, the whole paleontological side of it? And without hesitating, he said, yeah, pretty well. And I thought, man, you haven't mentioned a thing about that. And when I raised points about that, you didn't counter me with other points. You just, with other geological points or paleontological points, you came back with theological points. But you know the, I don't think you do. And so I think that's, that's, that's a, a pretty big, um, pretty big gap for most Christians in their knowledge. And I think it's really important that we, um, as a Christian community, we start building up our resources related to that. Because if we don't have them, then I think we end up hiding. We, we hide with ideas and we kind of, we again become defensive. We turn inwards. We're not looking to learn from other people. We're not looking to help engage with them in a helpful way that might allow them actually to learn from us and to see our points. So, I, Okay, l- let me get you one, my favorite book one second. Here's a book everybody should read. The Inner Fish, A Journey into the Three-and-a-Half-Billion-Year-Old History of the Human Body by Neil Shubin. Neil Shubin. Mm. It's a story of Tiktaalik, which is perhaps the most important uh, fossil find perhaps ever. Oh, this is the transitionary... Transitional fossil. The missing link. This is the missing link. Interesting. Right. So I haven't read all of this, but this guy, this is amazing. The amazing thing about it is that he, he said, what we're looking for is something that's in about this period. And judging by what, from what we know of geology, there are these areas on the planet where this period's rock is most exposed, is most accessible, and where we think we're going to be most likely to find this thing. And I don't know, like he, he came within couple hundred kilometers of pinpointing where he was going to find this thing. Came in, he found it. it it's absolutely, let me see. Yeah, this is from page 24. It took us six years to find it, but this fossil confirmed a prediction of paleontology. Not only was the new fish an intermediate between two kinds of animals, but we had found it also in the right time period in the Earth's history and in the right ancient environment. So they were able, through all that they knew up to this point, to pinpoint this thing. It took them six years, but they were right in Baffin Island someplace where they found it. Um, and that, for me, is pretty massive. That's a great indicator that the evidence is truthful. Right, that is pointing us in the right direction, and we're able to use that evidence to predict with. Um, yeah, we could say more, but um, my inner, your inner fish by Neil Shubin. It's a great book. Got to pick this thing up. Maybe I'll buy this and send it to you. you read it. I don't know. I'll read it. It's compelling. It's too scientific. Oh, it's not bad though. No, our world is so highly ordered that we can. Use a walk through a zoo to predict the kinds of fossils that lie in the different layers of rock around the world. 
Wow. In other words, like it's that whole idea of the book. So, so Aquinas talked about this and I I would use it in a different way than he did, but he talked about the book of nature and the book of scripture, right? And we need both of these things and they both kind of work together. But this is exactly like if the world is giving us information about human origins in certain ways, and we've got certain information there, then this is a reliable indicator, right? It's valuable. It's trustworthy. And we, to at least a certain extent, are trustworthy with it, right? And the biblical text is telling us more about human anthropology. Who are human beings? How reliable are they? And we know, okay, human beings are susceptible to self-deceit, right? It's one of the big things. We say we do this for this reason when in fact we do it for another reason that we claim to disavow. Man, false consciousness, right? Um, and so that's if the, the existing um, physical world is reliable to a certain extent. And if it's got necessary information, then we can't do the same approach. Like what, it, what this is telling us, the, the impact of this is that this is essentially telling us that the way we've done it before in terms of theology is wrong. And it's able to make, a, it's the arbitrator, if you like, between two competing perspectives that in theology, you can't, there's no winner. So how do you arbitrate between start with the Bible, start with yourself, start with the world? Bring in the other, the other components, right? Bring in the other components. Bring in the physical world. And so if we know enough now about the physical world, that it is able to, be, to act as a predictor and an indicator of human origins and of other things like that, then all of a sudden we know that we've got to take that seriously. And we can't just read the Bible, like read that into the Bible. Oh, no, 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 that, that's only 4,000 years old because that's all we can come up with the Bible. No, no, no. Then we know. You don't read the Bible that way. You read it this way. Right? So, and that's massive. That's one of the most massive things. And I think N.T. Wright's work on a theological level or an exegetical level, pardon me, is doing that same thing. It's helping us to arbitrate between two competing orientations, starting with the Bible, starting with the self, starting with the world. And when we've got that, that, that clarification is massive, right? But it also is very painful because it cut back, cuts back against you know, it cuts back against uh, Luther, it cuts back against Calvin, it cuts back against Augustine. So if these guys are your heroes, you might have to say, gee, I think I might have uh, done what some of the folks back in Corinth and some of those other places did. I put Peter and Paul and Cephas and, or, or Apollos and whomever above Jesus. Well, maybe you're putting these folks as the actual best interpreters of the biblical text. Um above perspectives that actually show that they're better, right? They've got, they're more rounded, they're more solid, they're more concrete, they're more reliable, they have more evidence. So do you think views on these things will keep changing? So it's 100 years from now, have they discovered more stuff that, you know, whatever Greg might think today would have been proven to be antiquated? And in other words, at what point do we have the full picture? Cause it seems like it's still evolving. evolving. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't think like, in other words, I think my guess is in 20 years, somebody else is going to write another book, your inner whatever, right? Because they're going to find another transitional thing. That's really important. And the, the, the thing about transitionals is that there can only be a transition when the population experiences drastic shrinkage. So something happens, right, which is what happened to the dine. I guess there were three of, I can't remember the exhibits today, but yeah, there, there was this idea that, yeah, at certain points, there was just this mass extinction because of a meteor, because of the environment changed, or whatever. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and, then, and the, the meteor thing was more the case that the dinosaurs didn't, we, don't, we didn't evolve out of dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were killed off. And what was able to survive were some of these smaller creatures, and we evolved out of those creatures. But for that, which was, I don't know, what was that... 20 million years. I, I don't know what that was. Before that, we had this situation where moving from one period uh, in the kind of giant lizard stage or fish stage to another period required a massive decrease, but not an annihilation of the population. And in that, in that uh, massive decrease, only those um, uh, members of the species that had certain traits survived 
And so maybe they were strange traits, like they were fish that kind of had little fingery sort of things. And this, this just continued until we had these land animals. But the reason we can't find a lot of these transitional fossils is precisely because the population was massively shrunk. So if you've got a, if you've got a million of these, these I don't know, 100,000 of these dinosaurs out there, surely you're going to find two or three that are going to find, they're going to die in the right conditions for you to be able to find them millions of years later. Well, let's say instead of 100,000, you have 1,000. All of a sudden, or let's say 500, or let's say 200, right? Well, that's really tough. You might not find any. So that's why this was really, the you know, Tiktaalik was really important. But I don't think in the next 20 years you're going to find something that's going to contradict this. I think that they're going to continue. Like, I think what he's saying uh, in those two pieces, um, you know, that they predicted not only where it would be, but what did he say? Um, not only was the new fish an intermediate between two kinds of animals, so this is like linking two groups together that they previously hadn't found as intermediate, but we found it also in the right time period in the Earth's history and the right ancient environment. So they're saying that they are able to use current data to now predict. And if that current data was wrong, they couldn't predict. So the very fact that they found this incredibly important piece by essentially making predictions based on their current knowledge says that what they've got is, is more or less right. And I don't think we're going to see that it becomes less right. I think we're going to find that it becomes more and more right. But I think what's going to happen over time is unless Christians orientate themselves so that they can take a position where they can, a viewpoint where they, they want to learn and engage, they're just going to stick their heads in the sand. You know, and they will refuse and refuse and refuse. And this is what I've, you know, been talking about in terms of this credibility gap. It's just going to widen. And that's, you know, it's one of the reasons I have a very difficult time saying, telling people I'm a Christian. And I'm certainly not going to tell them I'm a Christian if I think it's going to shut off the conversation. Because once the conversation's shut, it's shut. I've got no further recourse. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.